Man, God is doing some pretty amazing things at Zion. How many of you guys would agree with that? It's pretty awesome. You can give a clap. That's what God is doing. Now, I, I want you to hear this, okay? This is so important. We do not build God's church. God does. All of our strategizing, all the things we want to do, I mean, we have to be faithful, but we preach the gospel, we, look, we, we listen to the Holy Spirit, but it's God who builds His church. And one of the things that I'm excited about what God is doing in and through Zion, through the Holy Spirit, through the gospel being preached, is last week, we had 50 people at our new members' dinner. That's amazing. Now, here's the thing. It's not that numbers matter, but they, they matter to God because every number represents a person, and God cares about people. Amen. And so uh, sometimes we get caught up in that, and sometimes it can become so easy to get, like, all of our focus is on numbers. But I want you to hear this, that biblically, God cares about numbers. The book of Acts talks about that they celebrated when 3,000 came to know the Lord, and then 5,000 came to know the Lord. And, and so what does that mean for us? It means we have to be celebrating what God is doing, and the evidence of what God is doing is people. It's lives changed and people coming to Jesus. At the end of the day, the goal is not about Zion, it's Jesus Christ. Amen? Um, so now, one of the things we've been walking through is, uh, you know, we're coming up to the park, and Jennifer just did a great job talking about the things that are happening there. I want you to hear this, and that is, we want to see the park not just as an opportunity to do church outdoors. Don't get me wrong, we're still going to do church. But I believe there's an incredible opportunity we have to reach people for Jesus at the park. And so we're actually re kind of focusing, reframing how we're looking at the park as a mission field, an opportunity to share Jesus. Now check this out. I've talked to numerous people who didn't even know they were going to church. They happened to be coming by on a Sunday. They smelled the donuts. That's right. The Holy Spirit moves through donuts. They're holy donuts. Thank you, Abram. I'll pay you later. But this is what happened, no joke, I had somebody that like, yeah, I was walking by and I smelled the donuts and we, we came and got donuts, had no idea what was going on. And then the next week they, heard, they saw donuts again, so they came again and then they started hearing something like, oh, there's a church, but they didn't feel comfortable going to church, so they literally hid behind a tree, <laughs> kind of like, nobody will see me here. And they just kind of stood there and hung behind the tree and then eventually they started coming out from behind the tree, in front of the tree, and then eventually they started sitting with us at the park, and then they became members at Zion. That's an incredible opportunity we have to love our city for Jesus, and Jesus loves this city, amen? And so when we look at this, we want to see the kingdom opportunity for what God has put in front of us, which is to love our neighbors well, not just Clear Lake, because we have people who come from Mason, from Ventura, uh, Forest City. We have people who come from Des Moines. I mean, we have people who come from all over, and there are people who don't even know they're coming to a church. But here's the deal. Jesus knows they're coming. And so I want you and I to start thinking about the park differently, to see it as an opportunity to share Jesus with people who may never step foot in the doors of the dock or over at the traditional space. So here's a couple ways you can partner with us. Um, first, and it's honestly the most important, is prayer. I need people in our church, I need you to be praying for the leaders, for the staff, for our teams and the volunteers who make this stuff happen. Because I got to tell you, the setup doesn't just happen. It's not like we just show up and we go. It takes a lot of manpower and hours to get ready for the dock or for, for the park. And so pray for us. Pray as we're looking at the messages that we're doing. We're going to be talking about God's heart and using the Lord's prayer to really reshape how we see God 
How does God actually want you to see Him through the Lord's Prayer? And then here's the second way, is that you can be praying for revival to break out. If you're not familiar with what revival is, revival is God bringing dead things back to life. And that means people out there who don't know Jesus are dead in their sin. We want to see the Holy Spirit move to see people come on fire for Jesus. And you know where that revival starts is with you and with me. It starts here. Some of you need faith awakened in you. You need to be re-energized to bring revival back into your life so that you want to go out and share Jesus with your neighbors. And I don't mean awkwardly. I mean just naturally out of the abundance of who Jesus is in your life. So we want to pray for revival in our city and in our church. We need to pray for people's eyes, ears, and hearts to be open to the good news of Jesus. We need to pray against the lies and schemes of the devil because he hates this stuff. Now, Satan hates that we meet here, but here's the thing. In the church, the only way someone gets to hear the gospel here is if they walk through the doors. But out there, they're exposed to the gospel every Sunday, and Satan hates it. Absolutely hates it because every time the name of Jesus is proclaimed, it does not return void. It is moving in someone's life and heart. And so we need to take that spiritual battle seriously. And then lastly, we need to pray for our city. We need to pray for our police officers, our fire department, EMTs, our our mayor, all the people involved. We need to be praying for those involved, our local businesses. We need to be praying for other churches. I'm not just here talking River City Church. If you don't know River City, great church, great stuff going on. Brian Revenzes, I can never say his last name, great guy, loves Jesus, seeing some incredible work. We've got the EV Free Church. God is moving In our city, and our cities, through Mason City, God is doing some stuff, and we have the privilege of being a part of that. Second, come and join us. We do need volunteers. We need people who are going to come and be a part of what we're doing. But here's the other part. We want to be a welcoming church. And I'm not talking like the creepy welcoming. You know what I'm talking about? Like, hey, buddy, how are you doing? Not that that kind of welcoming. We want to do where it's an authentic sense of who we are, that when somebody new comes, we're truly glad they're here. Even if it's just as simple as, hey, great to have you here this morning. Thank you so much. Hospitality goes a long way in letting people first encounter Jesus. Then the third thing, invite friends and family and neighbors. Now, I know what happens during summer. You'll get friends in town, and this happens all the time. Why weren't you at church? Well, we had friends in town. Well, here's the deal. Instead of saying we're going to skip church, Jesus wants to meet your friends. Jesus wants to meet your friends. So when you have friends in town, say, hey, we're going to church. We'd love to have you come. It's super fun. We hang out at the park. It's cool. It's great. Would you come? Invite them. And then lastly is expect a miracle. Expect that God wants to do something and is going to do something if we are obedient to proclaiming the gospel of Jesus, seeking the Holy Spirit, and being faithful to what he's called us to do. Now, I want to tell you that as we're looking at this, I believe that God wants to do something incredible this summer. I think God is preparing us for something that is happening in the fall, but it's going to start now. And I believe actually God's been kind of building that wave since January. We've been seeing new things happening at Zion, and I'm pretty excited about it. I hope you are too. As we're looking at the message this morning, we're starting in Matthew chapter 6. We finished the Unconvenient series, which was looking at the challenge that Jesus offers to us to intentionally step into uncomfortableness so we can have breakthrough. And as we were going through this, we were prepping for this. This is really a one-off kind of prepping us for the park. And I was reading Matthew chapter 6, and I discovered that kind of my inner Pharisee started coming out. And it happened so quickly. 
Here I am, I'm reading the Bible, and here's what I mean by this. This text that we're going to be looking at in Matthew 6 is a whole bunch of things that talk about don't doing things. Don't do this, don't do this. Be careful. And what happens inside of us is every time we see do not, we immediately kind of think rules and regulations. And that's what started happening. As I was prepping, I found myself going there. So now I do uh, what's called a sermon read-through. We have several staff members who get together every week, and I bring the message, or whoever's preaching brings the message. And here's why we do it. We do it so that sometimes I don't know how I'm coming across. Sometimes I might think a story lands, and I think it's great, and they're like, that was lame. So we sit together, and we talk about it. And as we were going through it with the staff, uh, Pastor Derek, who's our family ministries pastor, uh, he, I get finished, and he, we're going through, and everybody's kind of sharing their thoughts and giving some feedback. And, and Derek goes, you know, I got to tell you, that really felt shameful. And I went, what? He goes, yeah, I, I just felt very shame-based. And anybody who knows me, I hate shame. Shame can go to hell. It has no place in the kingdom. And so I heard what Derek said, and I was like, oh, I, I guess my mind wasn't there, and I wasn't thinking about it. Well, one of the things that I like to do is in the mornings when I take my showers, I love just to kind of spend some time with the Lord. And, and so I'm sitting in the shower and just kind of reflecting and praying, and, and I heard the Holy Spirit say, Jason, you need to redo your entire message. Because it was, you were so focused on what not to do, you missed the opportunity, you missed my heart in the text. How many of you have ever been reading the Bible and missed God's heart while you're reading it? Come on, we all should raise our hand. It's human nature. We have these weird filters called our eyes and our experiences that sometimes we'll read God's Word and instead of letting it read us, we insert our own values into it. And that's what happened with this. So as we're doing this, I want to let you know that we're going to change direction and you're going to hear a lot of don't do, but what I really want to do is instead of looking at the threat, the obstacle, I want to look at the opportunity. I want to look at what God's heart is behind the text. Because that's the real work and that's the hard stuff. Um, when I was about 12, 13 years ago, um, I took a motorcycle class. I got a motorcycle and I took this class. And they were telling us, and, and again, I've never ridden a motorcycle before, never drove one. And the instructor said, if you want a surefire way to lay down your bike, to crash, is that when you see something you're trying to avoid, pay attention to it instead of the road. And that here's what he was saying is, is that if you want to crash, you'll focus on what you're trying to avoid. But if you want to get past it, you look past what you're trying to avoid to where you want to go. Does that make sense? Because here's what happens. You see an obstacle, you see a trap. If you're focused on that, your natural tendency is to lean the direction of what you're trying to avoid. So you want to look past it to where you want to turn. And sure enough, that works. Let me give you a more practical example. Don't think about a banana. Don't think about a banana. Don't think about a banana. Banana, banana, but what are you thinking about right now? Bananas. Because here's what happens. The way our minds are wired is that the more we try not to think about something, the more we focus on it. And sometimes this happens with sin. If you're focusing, well, I don't want to sin. I don't want to lust. I don't want to lust. I don't want to lust. And what do you end up thinking about? Lust. And God tells us not to think about what we're trying to avoid, but the opportunity of where God wants us to be. So if you have your Bibles... Turn to Matthew chapter 6. Now, one of the things that I'm really excited about is that we have our new Bible or our app coming out. Did you know on the Zion app, there's actually a Bible feature on there now? So you can go right there. Now, what I would love to see, and I hope we can do this, how cool would it be if, on Zion, if we're at the park, if everybody actually brought a Bible, you see all these people walking into the park with their Bibles, what would that tell our community about our church? We're people of the book. Thank you, Matt Cook. 
It's like you're on council or something. <laughs> I want us to take God's Word seriously. So if you have your Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 6. You can also do it on your phone. That's why we have it there. Now, 6-1. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. Now, this is, this is the first obstacle. Now, I, I want you to hear this, is that true holiness is really hard to measure. You can't measure holiness by the t-shirts that you wear. You guys remember the really cool, cheesy t-shirts, Christian t-shirts back in the 80s and 90s? His pain, your gain, bench press this, no God, no fear, right? And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with those, but that doesn't determine if a person's holy or not. You can't determine if a person's holiness by the music they listen to. They could have K-Love on the radio. Check this out. I know individuals who on their way to have affairs were listening to K-Love. Just because you listen to K-Love or Christian music doesn't mean you're holy. It's also not about how often you go to church. That's not what determines holiness. There's no surefire way to determine holiness. Because holiness isn't about extrinsic things. It's not about something you do. It's about something done to you. Does that make sense? And we want surefire ways. We want things that reveal we're holy. Now, in the times of Jesus, there were things that when someone looked religious, let's take the word religious and kind of superimpose that over holy. We associate religiousness with holiness. And in the ancient world, they didn't have uh, Christian t-shirts or clothes like that. They also didn't have K-Love or Elevation Worship or Maverick City. There was no Carrie Job. It's not like you could put my boss's Jewish carpenter sticker on the side of your donkey. There was None of that existed, right? That wasn't the way you did it. So how did they tell if someone was religious? How did you know if someone was serious about their faith? Well, there were three ways. And these three things really kind of signed, were, were a symbol, an outward expression demonstrating that, man, you took religion seriously. Now, hear me when I say this. Jesus did not come to make us more religious. He came to make us family. Jesus didn't come to make you and I more religious. He came to make you and I family, to change our identity. But as family, he still wants us to do something. I have, I'm, I'm a Miller, okay? My kids are part of the Miller family. As being part of our family, we have responsibilities. They do not bring you as, they don't make you part of the family. They're evidence that you already belong. Does that make sense? So for instance, when my kids clean their room, if I go up to your children and say, hey, clean your room, they're going to look at me and say, and you are who? But if I go to my children and say, clean your room, I'm their dad. They clean it not to earn their place in their family, but because they've already got it. It's a responsibility. We are called to do good things for the Lord. But we don't do them to earn our salvation. We do it because we've already got it as a visible demonstration of the fact that we belong to the family of Jesus, not to become more religious. So here are the three ways that you could tell in the Old Testament and the New Testament. These were the evidence that you were religious, okay? So the first one is caring for the poor. If you cared for the poor... It was a visible expression of your religiousness. The second was prayer. Now, when I talk about prayer, here prayer is a natural communication with the Lord, but some people, they want big expressions of prayer. How many of you ever struggle, and you can by show of hands, how many of you struggle with praying out loud in front of people? Come on, it's okay if you do, right? And, and one of the things that I find interesting 
is sometimes when people pray because they don't understand the heart of prayer, they think that the more they say God's name, the more he's listening. So saying, you know, like, and Father, and you know, like, Father, and you know, like, Jesus, you know, like, Jesus. You know what? Every time my kids are like, Dad, 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 you know what I do? I'm like, I stop listening. I'm just like, stop. In prayer, we don't always understand what prayer looks like. Next week, we're going to be talking about God's heart for prayer and how to have prayer that God actually hears. And then it's, it's, you'll be surprised, it's not as complicated as you think. And then the last one is fasting. Fasting was a spiritual discipline, and some people would fast and do these outward expressions to show how holy, how religious they were. And Jesus starts off by saying these words, Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. Now, let's be clear. Jesus does expect us to practice our righteousness. In fact, in Matthew 5, Jesus said, let your light shine before all men. Well, what does it mean to shine your light? It means to do the things that God has called us to do, to do the good deeds. He doesn't say don't do them. He says, be careful that when you do them, you're not doing them for other people's praise, for other people's recognition. So we're supposed to do them, but true religion should come not trying to impress other people, but trying to glorify God. So here's the first obstacle, and then I want to talk about the opportunity. The first obstacle is trying to impress others with our religious actions. Uh, When I was in my 20s, I started attending a church called The Vineyard. Great, great church. Uh, It's a movement, charismatic, very expressive worship. It's where I learned to lead worship. I was part of that, loved that church. But in that community, one of the ways that you demonstrated that you were spiritually mature was you would raise your hands in worship, and you would sing really loud, and you would even get emotional at times. Like, if you wanted people to know that you were a mature Christian, you worship like this. And now here's what was happening. Because I was part of that community, eventually... There were times I would come into church and I wasn't thinking about Jesus, I was thinking about the person next to me. So what did I want to do in order to look religious, to look good? And I would sing super loud and I would would put on an act even though my heart was far from God. Now, God actually loves when we lift our hands in worship, He does. That's why we encourage it here, we encourage you to lift your hands but you're lifting your hands to God and His goodness as an act of surrender, not to impress the people around you. Now, here's what was happening. So here I am, I'm in my 20s, and I'm finding myself acting religious, trying to appear more spiritual than I was. And one day in prayer, I heard the Lord, Holy Spirit say, Jason, would you be okay with not singing? Your spiritual act of worship, your sacrifice of praise, Jason, would be to shut up. Some of you were like, amen. (laughs) That was my spiritual act of worship, was not singing louder, but not singing at all, just listening. If you ever see me to this day, every once in a while you'll see me, and I'm either, I'll have my head bowed, and I'm just listening, I'm not singing. That's because of a moment I had with the Lord when the Lord called me out on my trying to look religious, when I was trying to impress other people with my big expressions of worship. I wasn't doing it to make God happy. I was trying to impress other people. See, we're we're not immune to this. It's something that we can all struggle with. And so for me, that the obstacle was impression, impressing other people, but God wanted to get to something else. Now, this isn't a new phenomenon. This isn't new to God. In fact, even the angels struggled with this. Lucifer, Satan, was an angel in heaven who wanted more glory than God. 
And eventually he was cast out of heaven because of his rebellion against God. This isn't just a human problem. Any creation that has the ability to worship can struggle with this. And so we come with a different set of values. Now check this out. The difference between a good action and a godly action is who you're doing it for. We're called to do good things, but there are non-Christians, there are people who are atheists, don't even believe in God who do good in the world. Would you agree with that? I mean, think about it. We have tech billionaires who give billions of dollars, but are they doing it to make God look good, themselves look good? See, the, the only difference between a good action and godly action is who and why you're doing it. And that is Jesus' warning, be careful. He doesn't say stop doing it altogether. He says, be careful, be aware that when you practice your righteousness in front of others, you're doing it for the right reason. But there's another word in there, practice. Practice takes time. You have to learn to do it. It is not natural to want to serve God. Human nature wants us to serve ourselves. But God is calling us to do this and realize it takes practice. And you're going to stumble, you're going to fail, sometimes you're going to do it for the wrong reasons, but doing it for the wrong reasons is better than not doing it at all. Let me give you a text from James. James was the half-brother of Jesus. He said this, James chapter 2, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, I have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. Our faith, how do we demonstrate that we have faith in Jesus? Through our life by the good deeds that we do. But we're not doing it to impress people. We're doing it as a reflection out of the abundance of what God is doing in us. So when God does that, there's an opportunity. The opportunity is for us to grow. Now again, you're going to mess up, but here's the best part about the gospel. God's not surprised when we screw up. He's not surprised when we do things for the wrong reason. So what do you do? You confess, repent, move on. That's it. You confess it. When you realize maybe you did something for the wrong reason, say, you know, God, I think I did that for the wrong reasons. I'm sorry. I, I don't want to do that again, Lord. Help me to not do that again, and then move on. Say that with me. Confess, repent, move on. Sometimes we get stuck in the past about the way we, we screwed up instead of moving forward into the direction God has called us. Now, here's the thing. You can't impress God. That's why we don't try and impress God. You can impress people, but how do you impress a God who owns the cattle on a thousand hills who created the universe? It's like Tom Brady, okay? Anybody, anybody know who Tom Brady is? So, not Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady. Imagine if you're Tom Brady's kids and you're in the backyard playing football. Okay, now he's playing maybe with his daughter, his son. And is his child ever going to impress him with his football skills? No, Tom Brady's one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time, right? Now, well, maybe you don't agree with that. But imagine his child. Now, here's the thing. I'm going to assume that Tom Brady is a good father. I'm going to make that assumption. When he's playing in the backyard... If his child is trying to impress him, he's always going to fall short. He's never going to be able to do it because no matter how hard he tries, he's never going to throw as good as his dad. And maybe he'll strive the rest of his life trying to impress his father. Maybe one day he'll become a great quarterback and hear the attaboy. But as a child, is that what God, is that what Tom Brady wants for his kid? Hopefully not. 
What Tom Brady really wants to do, hopefully if he's a good dad, is to be in the backyard playing football with his child, his son or his daughter, and that kid's going to throw a wobbly pass that's barely going to make it to his feet, and a good father says what? That was awesome! Man, you got an arm on you. That was incredible. Well done. Because it's not about impressing dad, it's about being with him. It's about spending time, and our good deeds are not about impressing God, it's about spending time with God. It's not about trying to prove how good we are to a loving father. It's showing, hey, I get that you love me, Dad, and I'm going to love other people because you love me. And that's what we're working towards is not our approval of God. You've already got that. It's learning to bring delight to our dad, to our heavenly father. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourself. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. You cannot earn your salvation. You've already got it if you've confessed Jesus Christ as Lord. Now what we're trying to do is demonstrate that our salvation has done something in us. First, salvation did something to you. Now it needs to do something through you. And that's where God wants to move in us. So if we look at this, the, the obstacle is trying to impress others with our religious actions. So what's the opportunity? Remember, instead of focusing on what we're trying to avoid, let's look at where we're going. Let's look at the opportunity. The opportunity is learning to give the right way by practicing our giving for God and with God to bring joy to God. The more we practice it, the more we get a hang of it, the more it becomes more natural. It takes effort and time. Jesus then continues on in Matthew 6, 2. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you that they have received their reward in full. So there were some individuals who were going into the synagogue and they literally would have trumpets blasting so that everybody could see that they were giving. And Jesus called them hypocrites. Now, if you're not familiar with the term hypocrite, uh, you maybe heard it, but maybe you don't know where it comes from. It actually just means actor. In the Greco-Roman theater, you would have actors who would put on a mask to portray a character. They were called hypocrites. And Jesus is saying, listen, some people are giving to get. They're giving and they want to make sure that other people see it, so they give in a public way so that other people know how generous they are. Now, I want you to hear this from me right now. I don't know what anybody in this church gives. I don't want to know. I don't sit and look at our bookkeeping. I don't, I don't know what one person in here gives because at the end of the day, I love you because you're part of our church, not because of what you give to the church. Does that make sense? That's my commitment to you. No one can ever say, well, Jason only cares about them because they give money. I don't know what anybody gives. But God does. God knows your heart. He knows, are you giving for His glory or for your own? Are you giving because you want people's praise and recognition? That's obstacle number two. Obstacle number two is sometimes it's we want people's praise and recognition. Now, here's the thing. Human nature kind of likes that, doesn't it? Praise and recognition is like potato chips. Once you get it, you want more. It's human nature. And, and, and we're supposed to want praise, but you know whose praise we should desire is God's, not man's. One day we're going to stand before God. And for those who are faithful in Christ, he's going to say, well done, my good and faithful servant, my good and faithful son or daughter. Not everybody's going to stand before God and he's going to say that. They still might be saved. The Apostle Paul said it this way. There are some people who they make it to heaven, but barely. They, they confess Jesus, but they did absolutely nothing with their faith. So yes, they're saved, 
but they smell like smoke. That's how close they came to the flames of hell, right? They were, they were really close to the barbecue. But others, for the ones that God is moving in who are faithful, he is going to give praise. Well done, my good and faithful servant. We should, instead of worrying about impressing other people, should seek to impress our Father with his glory. Let me say that again. We're not impressing him with us. We're impressing him with himself. God, look what you did in me. Did you see what you did? Did you see what you did, Dad? Did you see that? It's not about what you're doing. It's about what God is doing through you. That's the shift. You can't impress God with you. But God is amazed by his glory. That sounds super self-righteous, but guess what? He's God. That's what makes him God. He deserves his glory. He deserves his fame. There's no one more famous, no one more powerful. Something more famous and more powerful than God would be what? God. So when we give out of the abundance of what God is doing in us, it is a reflection of who God is, and He actually will give a reward for that. But for those who seek the reward, the human reward, they'll get it right then and there. Let me give you an example for it. We have individuals who are amazing professional actors, and every year they strive to get an award called the Oscar. They want this little golden man that represents, hey, you played a character so well, we didn't even know you were you. We thought you were the other person. And so we hand out Oscars for people. And I mean, there's tons of money. How many, how many billions of dollars do we throw at people because they know how to act well, how to put on a mask well? But before we get too hard on Oscars, on Oscars and actors, we have the same thing. How many of you have Little League trophies? Spelling bee, letterman's jackets. Think of all the things that we do. Why do we like these things? Because they're praise. There's someone telling us we did a good job. And, and again, I get it. And what Jesus says is, that's okay. If that's why you're giving, then you re received your reward in full when you got the, the acclamation. You received your reward when you got the applause. Well done. And that's, if that's what you want, that's okay. But what God wants from us is that we seek our Heavenly Father's praise. Our Heavenly Father to say, well done. And then he does talk about rewards. I don't know what those rewards are. It alludes to them as jewelry, as crowns, as prizes, as wreaths. But I think those are more illustrations, more metaphors than actually meant to be what they really are. So when we look at this in our spiritual accomplishments, God is wanting to reframe us, to move us into something different. Now, this is a problem that exists in the church because we are a competitive creation, and we do this within churches. Let me give you an example. Uh, in churches, usually when pastors meet, the first thing they do is talk about the size of their church. So how many people you got worshiping? How big's your budget? It's human nature. We often will we'll do things in a public setting because we, we want the approval of people. There's a guy named Peter Greer wrote a book called The Spiritual Danger of Doing Good. And in this book, he talked about how he belonged to a relief organization and uh, there was a, a major volcano in Africa. So they come down, the relief workers, and there's tens of thousands of people who have been displaced. They've lost their homes, they have no food, they have no shelter, and it's raining. So in a normally, typically hot climate, it's cold and rainy, and all these people are in line, and they've got tons of boxes of blankets and food to be distributed. And as the people are in line and they're cold, an AIDS worker begins to hand out and one of the higher-ups says, hey, wait, wait, you need to stop, you need to stop. Cameras aren't here yet. Now, I want you to think about this scene for a second. 
Here's a relief Christian relief organization that is coming to bring relief to people who are literally starving, freezing cold. They have blankets and food, and the higher-up's concern is not the people who need food. It's what? The cameras aren't here yet. And Peter Greer talks about, he says, that's when I realized that somewhere along the way, my values got twisted. I was seeking man's approval instead of God's approval. I got so caught up in the praise of man that I missed the opportunity. So what is the opportunity? Well, if the obstacle is people's praise and recognition, the opportunity is learning whose praise should actually matter to us, God's. And this takes time, honesty, and practice to grow in. Here's why I want you to hear this. It takes time to learn this. It doesn't feel natural. It takes time for God to work in that. It takes honesty. It takes the honesty to admit within yourself, hey, sometimes I give for the wrong reasons. Sometimes I worship for the wrong reasons. Sometimes I do good for the wrong reasons. If I'm walking down the street and I've got a friend with me, I'm more apt to give money or to help a homeless person than I am just to help them so that they know Jesus loves them. And it takes practice. So then Jesus goes on and and he says, listen, we're not to grow weary, Paul says this, sorry, Do not grow weary in doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. You want to know why we need to not grow weary? Is that if we don't have human praise, it's so easy to want to give up. It's so easy that if we don't get the instant recognition, the instant gratification, human nature is to say, well, it's it's just, it's too difficult, it's not worth it. But God says, continue on, keep trying. Now listen to the last two verses. But when you give to the needy, Do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. The obstacle here is doing something without knowing you're doing it. So I'm going to borrow John's guitar. He's not around, so it's okay. Don't tell him I'm doing this. I've been playing guitar for about 30 years. When I first started playing guitar, how how many of you play guitar or play an instrument? You guys remember those awkward phases when you were first learning it, right? I would sit there like this and be like... And the first time I had a chord, I was like, dude, that was awesome. Woo! You know, I was stoked, right? But here's the thing. Then when I wanted to go to the next chord, I had to do this. And I would practice, and I would practice, and my fingers started hurting because it wasn't natural, right? You're not born learning to play guitar. I had to learn how to do it, and it hurt, and it was uncomfortable, and it spent hours in my room practicing, and it was awkward, and it looked messy and sounded bad sometimes. And sometimes I wanted to give up because my fingers hurt because I had developed calluses. But eventually... I learned to play, and here's what happens. When Jesus says to not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, it's the same thing as like playing guitar. It's that you've been practicing for so long that literally it's second nature. You're not thinking about it anymore. You're just doing it. Now, here's the problem that exists for us in the church. Sometimes it's hard to want to start to play because it's uncomfortable. But when we come in and saying, God, wait, I'm not doing it for the immediate reward. I'm doing it for the future. See, I didn't start playing guitar because I thought I was going to be awesome. Actually, that's not true. I thought I was going to be awesome when I first started playing. And then I realized how quickly my hands hurt and that I wasn't good. But the reason why I kept on playing was because of what the future would bring. The reason why I kept on doing it was because I knew eventually it would have its own reward, which was the joy of playing. And there is a point in which Just like a musical instrument, just like any talent, giving is a talent that must be practiced. And the more that you give, the more that you give 
even stumbling through it, even messing up, even doing it for the wrong reasons, the more that you do it with the Father in mind, rejoicing and celebrating what He's done, eventually it becomes second nature. Did you know there are some people in our church, and I only know this not because I know the amount, but because I've had other people tell me, there are people who give generously in our church, and they don't even think about it after they give it. It's so naturally, so natural for them, they give, and if you were to say, hey, thank you, for what? They're not even thinking about it. But for most of us, like, yeah, I gave. Man, that was tough. And that's hard. I'll tell you, when I first started giving, one, I wanted the pastor to be like, hey, Jason, thanks for the five bucks in the plate, buddy. That was great. I wanted that. I wanted the praise. And then eventually, I started realizing that I was giving, if I was giving for that reason, I was giving for the wrong reason. It was more like tipping God than blessing God, right? And, And here's what I found. This is not a message about giving. I want you to hear that. But the more that I started surrendering and practicing the art of giving generously to bless God, the more it just flowed out for me and I never thought about it again. I just did it. That's what God wants to get us to. But it has to start. That's if you'll notice in that text, he doesn't say if you give, he says when you give. That's part of what it means to be in the family of God is just as God gave generously to us, he wants us to reflect Him in the world, to give as He does. Does that make sense? And I I like the illustration of the guitar because sometimes we read that text and we're like, how is it possible to give with my left hand not knowing what my right hand is doing? Well, it's possible when we're giving like that, when we're giving from another place. Um, So what is the opportunity? Well, first of all, failure is not messing up, it's giving up. Some of you are, it's not going to feel natural to do it. Failure is not messing up, it's giving up. And so I want to challenge you to step in. Now listen to the last part, he says this, then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. God knows your motivations, he even knows when you're doing it for the right or wrong reasons. So doing something without knowing you're doing it is the obstacle, the opportunity is giving with the future, not the immediate in mind. See, uh, we have a word for giving with the future in mind, it's called investing, Investing is you give knowing that eventually it's going to have a reward, a payment, and that's how we're supposed to give with the kingdom opportunity in mind. Would you stand with me for a moment? We're, we're going we're gonna to close up here. But here's, here's what I want to end us with, and I want us to think about this. We are going into the park. We're looking for kingdom opportunities. We've talked about all the things that God is doing. We want to see God move. How many of you want to see God move in the park? Say amen. amen. Well, let's just show hands. How many of you want to see God move in the park? Say amen. All right, so we want to see God move. There's kingdom opportunities. We have to start thinking differently about where we're going, about what we're doing. And you have the opportunity to invest in what God is doing. Now, the timing of this is super awkward because we're going to do our tithe and offers now, but that wasn't the intention. We're, We're doing it because I want you to start realizing that you're not investing in Zion, you're investing in God's kingdom. You're investing in what God wants to do in the lives of people. Um, last service, it was so cool. I mean, it's been so fun watching as seats are filling up and seeing new and more people coming. You want to know why I celebrate that? Because every person is a life that matters to God. It's somebody that God is move, moving in. I want to see more of that, and I hope you do too. And so we're going to look at the things that God wants to do, and we're going to spur one another on towards good deeds by living it ourselves. You want to know why we celebrate that we had 50 people at the newcomer's dinner? Why we have over 130 kids coming every Wednesday night? Think about that. 130 kids coming on Wednesday night. 
Why do we celebrate that? We don't celebrate it to posture up Zion to talk about us. It's to talk about what God is doing. Why do we talk about missions in Peru and in Haiti? Why are we celebrating hero makers, sisterhood, marriage ministry, work that God is doing in and through us? But here's the thing, and this is the most important part. God is challenging us as His people, His church, to invest in the work of His kingdom for His glory, not our own. Because if we're not, He will find a church that is. If we're not going to invest in what God is doing, by go, when we go into the park, if we don't take that as an opportunity to seize a dark world for the kingdom of light, He will find a church that will. We need to be a church who has the mindset of revival and the desire for it. And it starts with realizing that when we give, we give with God in mind, His glory in mind, not to make Zion look good, not to make you look good, but to make Jesus look good. God is calling us to more. One day, if we gave with His glory, approval and joy in mind, He will let us know He saw it and we will be honored and rewarded for it. And that's enough for me. Hearing well done would be reward enough. So, as we come to take our tithes and our offerings, let us come celebrating what God is doing. It's not about building a bigger church. God builds this church. It's about being faithful with the church He's given us. When you're ready, we're going to come and worship a little bit. Come and bring your tithe and offering, and let's just worship the Lord.